Good morning. I'm glad that you are here this morning to learn from God's Word. Uh, it is a blessing to be in the Lord's house. A short while ago, I shared with you about the danger of neglect. We learned that our material well-being in our culture leads to a false sense of security. And it blinds us to the lukewarm Christianity and our desperate need of a Savior. It also covers up our own wretchedness, and the cure for this lukewarm Christianity is to literally invite Jesus Christ to be a part of our lives and allow His transforming presence to become a part of our lives. At the center of this, Christ in our lives is the Gospel. But what happens when we neglect this message? What happens if we are not changed by this message? And what is the cure for this neglect? And this morning I hope to answer these questions. Would you stand with me as we read God's Word? Looking at Hebrews chapter 2, starting with verse 1. For this reason we must pay attention all the more to what we've heard, so that we do not drift away. For the message spoken through angels was legally binding, and every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment. How will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? This salvation had its beginning when it was spoken of by the Lord, and it was confirmed to us by those who heard him. At the same time, God also testified by signs and wonders, various miracles, and distribution of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to His will. Father God, we just lift up this time to You and pray that You would speak to us through Your Word, that You would change our hearts, that You would change our lives, and that You would change the direction that we walk. Lord, help us to not come away from this morning not changed. To your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The danger in this way is not the evil that is in the world. Rather, the danger is that we would fail to pay attention and drift and neglect this salvation, ignore the words of our Lord, and miss and deny the miracles of God, or neglect the gifts of the Spirit. In short, the enemy which brings condemnation on lukewarm Christianity is neglect more than it is attack from the world. Now please don't misunderstand me. We are to be prepared to take on a culture that is desperately trying to be hostile to our faith. But to ignore neglect as a major problem that we face is really to be ill-equipped to deal with the problems that are alive before us, the battle before us. And if we do not address this spiritual apathy, the collapse will be from within the church, not from outside the church. There's all kinds of things that we can fail to pay attention to. Um, when we look at this list, there's, there's false teachers in the world that we need to watch out for them. We need to avoid legalism. 
On a positive side, we need to pay attention to the speaking and listening of the truth of God. We need to be preaching the gospel. We need to be helping brothers and sisters in Christ. Some other things we need to avoid are showy religion, living in the flesh, myths and speculations. Simply, are we paying attention to godly things or are we paying attention to godless things? Drift is a major concern. The the main drift that concerns me is in the ways and manners of the world. Literally, the wisdom of this age. 1 Corinthians chapter chapter 3, verse 18, it says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, so that he can become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, since it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. Then again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise are futile. So let no one boast about human leaders, for everything is yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. Everything is yours. And you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God you see when we use ungodly strategy to treat others in unholy ways we're drifting away from even even while trying to pursue godly aims we boast about our human leaders over following Christ we commit ourselves to foolishness and division A spiritual drift is a greater concern to me than political drift. If our primary concern in this life is the political drift, I got news for you. The drift has already occurred. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 21 through 26, it says, Maintain sound wisdom and discretion, my son. Don't lose sight of them. They will be life for you and an adornment for your neck then you will go safely on your way and your foot will not stumble you will lie down and you will not be afraid you will lie down and your sleep will be pleasant do not fear sudden danger or the ruin of the wicked when it comes for the lord will be your confidence and keep your foot from a snare the cure for drift is wisdom coupled with discernment. The resulting effect of is sound wisdom will be life, safety, sure footing, an absence of fear, uh, good sleep, confidence in the Lord, and avoiding the traps of this life. Sound wisdom loves truth, hates evil, is shrewd, possesses knowledge, and has keen perceptions, honors God, rejects pride and arrogance, hates perverse speech and actions, and rewards those that love and seek it. Discretion protects us from evil ways, evil words, evil celebrations, and evil temptations. What happens when we neglect such a great salvation? 
When we ne neglect salvation, we disconnect ourselves from the power of God. It is His gospel that changes and transforms the lives of believers towards righteousness. Neglect, by definition, is drift and lukewarmness. Worse, neglect can lead unbelievers to disregard the salvation that is being offered to them. We see this in, in the parable of the marriage supper. We find that those uh, neglected the salvation because they had a farm or they had business to attend to. We read this in Matthew chapter 22, verse 5. It says, But they paid no attention and went away, one to his farm, another to his business. So one result of neglect is that unbelievers do not respond to the gospel. Neglect allows entropy to take over. Entropy is the tendency in, in God's created universe for energy to dissipate and uh, into the surrounding space. And what happens is, is we move towards death and disorder. Ultimately, entropy is why things break down and fall apart and wear out eventually. And when we neglect the power of salvation to transform our lives and others, we move towards death and disorder. We neglect salvation and many things ultimately leading to the disorder and eventual death of the church and the slide towards unrighteousness for people. You know, of the seven churches in the book of Revelation, there's only two cities that have any ongoing congregations meeting in them. The other locations have a handful of believers, but overall, the population of those cities is overwhelmingly Muslim. Why are there not more significant influences of Christ in these locations? One word. Neglect. It says in Proverbs 29, verse 18, it says, Without revelation, people run wild. But one who follows divine instruction will be happy. You see, the first part of that statement is spiritual entropy. In this case, it is the Word of God that is neglected, resulting in a society that runs wild. In this neglect, we stop sharing the Gospel. And people stop coming to the Lord. And people gradually stop attending church. And some people stop engaging in any of the Christian disciplines. We gradually become less engaged in prayer. We stop ministering to one another. Eventually, we stop caring for one another. The descent into spiritual apathy will eventually be the death of the church. Neglect of the salvation is overarching cause of decline in the church. The dominant view of our secular culture is over the last hundred years has been rational materialism. In this view, Humanity's ability to think rationally about the universe is ultimately the test of what is the truth. It, it, the idea is the concept that can be 
difficult to understand from a secular standpoint is because we really haven't learned enough yet. And ultimately, um, the natural forces at play control everything. Everything, including our very thoughts, have a natural cause under this view. Humanism also is a powerful worldview that in our culture, humanism is the belief that we need to celebrate and, and emulate the goodness that exists in humanity. We also need to minimize the suffering in, in so far as many humans as possible with the progress of our technologies. And ultimately, solving societal ills is rooted in the rational study of the problems and the application of what we learn from that study. Another worldview that dominates is postmodernism. In this worldview, it takes a more relativist view of truth. That is to say that truth is the in the eye of the beholder. There is no universal reality according to postmodernism, only shared experiences leading to a common narrative for particular groups. And these narratives are told and acted on in a way that keeps those in power in power and oppressed oppressed. So what is it that these worldviews hold in common? The dominant worldviews of our age hold this in common. They reject Christian spirituality and they have a strong skepticism about anything supernatural. Unfortunately, we've seen these worldviews lead to a sort of soft supernaturalism in the church, in the Christian faith. It's something like, I believe in the miracles of the Bible, but God doesn't really do those things anymore. They claim that a belief in Scripture, but hold to a rational skepticism when it comes to the claims of supernatural events in the present. As a result, we see a diminishing awareness of God's presence in people's lives. And if God does not engage His creation in supernatural ways, then really all that's left is a natural way to live. An unmiraculous life is an unspiritual life. An unspiritual life is a life disconnected from the Holy Spirit. A life disconnected from the Holy Spirit is a life adrift from God. Over time, when a person views spiritual experiences through the lens of skepticism, they begin to believe that spiritual things are superstitious, emotionally driven, illusions, delusional. And think about that for a moment. This lens has an impact on the faith of an individual. That person does not have the Word of God rooted in their hearts, and they will eventually fall away. God has given each human being natural gifts in this life. In addition to the natural gifts, He's given us spiritual gifts. And for those who place their hope and trust in Him, these gifts have the purpose of building up and serving others. That is the main purpose of these gifts. The common good of others is the central marker of God's love existing in the heart of a person. Without service, 
There is no real love. In fact, lust and not love becomes the guiding principle in relationships. The longing for something that you do not have. We're looking for Kathy Smith. If anybody knows where she's at. Person found. This, this form of lost leads to, in extreme forms, theft, adultery, sexual assault, and murders. In its minor form, it's, it's also destructive. You know, lust in degrees is no virtue. It can lead to discontent, broken relationships, jealousy, Strife, outbursts of anger. You know, it's interesting that the fruit of lust is manifest in the works of the flesh. We see this in Galatians chapter 5, starting with verse 19. It says, Now the works of the flesh are obvious sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I'm warning you about these things, as I've warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We read in John, 1 John chapter 2, uh, verse 16, it says, Everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of one's possession is not from the Father, but is from the world. This verse explains that lust and pride are the fruit of worldliness. So how does this relate to gifts from God? You see, we tend to use our own selfish ways to seek to use our gifts for the betterment of ourselves. We, at times, we might use the gifts for the betterment of our people. Notice, helping our people has the selfish benefit of being reciprocal altruism and improved status in that group. It is interesting that the Bible actually discourages this kind of relationship. In fact, the Bible takes the radical position that we are to show love and compassion to our enemies. Our service is to be towards others. And when we fail to serve others, then we demonstrate that the love of God is not in us. Our actions lead to, uh, a, ought to lead to a generous assessment by the community around us. 
And even when we're criticized and persecuted by the world around us, we are to be morally above reproach. Church life, in many respects, has become disconnected from the natural and spiritual gifts of the body. Our lukewarmness due to our self-sufficiency and privilege has left to a tendency to hire out our spiritual responsibilities. Historically, care and welfare for the community has been a part of the work of the church. At some point in our history, we delegated, or more accurately, abandoned the responsibility to government and private charities. Now, to be clear, I'm not suggesting there are no churches or ministries that are doing good work. What I am suggesting is that by neglecting the gifts and subsequent service to our communities, the church has lost its moral standing in our community. As a result, we have diminished our witness. Our witness is reduced to an intellectual action more than being the hands and feet of Christ. At the end of time, Jesus will bring us before Him. He will be able to tell the difference between those who profess and have a merely intellectual faith, goats, and those who have a sincere faith, sheep, by their actions. The fruit of their actions is evidence of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And in this way, then, neglecting, and using, neglecting the using of our spiritual gifts to serve others ultimately is neglecting our relationship with Jesus Christ. So what is the cure for the neglect? We read about this in 1 Timothy, starting with chapter 4, verse 11. It says, Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech, conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, give your attention to the public reading and exhortation and teaching. Don't neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy and with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Practice these things. Be committed to them so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for in doing this you will save both yourself and your hearers. Paul is offering some sound wisdom under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to his companion and young pastor, Timothy. And I believe that applying these verses, um, we can look at our own approach and ultimately guard against lukewarmness stemming from neglect. The Word of God is central to the transforming power of God. It is the Word that acts upon His Christ followers. And the tendency of our culture toward, we have a tendency in our culture towards entertainment. We gravitate towards people who can hold our attention. Unfortunately, the entertainment factor, while it can improve our attention to a message, does not guarantee that the message is one that's following the admonition and command to teach. I do believe that the majority of pastors take this admonition very seriously. And so on the flip side, we have people in general who avoid the authority of local church elders in their respective churches. 
And when this happens, we see people go to other sources and attack the leadership of their church and fight against the elders that God has called to care for their souls. In other cases, people just leave and go to a church that teaches what they believe. It is a phenomenon that the Bible refers to as itchy ears. In this, people seek out the teachers that they want to hear, not the teachers they need to hear. With all these challenges, we need the Word more than ever. The command and teaching of the Word is what the body of Christ needs. We ought to be challenged every time we attend a sermon or Bible study toward the ideal of Christ. We can never assume that we're good enough or have nothing left to learn. If we're just starting or if we've been Christ followers our entire lives, we need to be challenged to live faithfully according to God's Word. I think perhaps this is what may have been why some people may have been challenging Timothy due to him being younger. But however, Paul encourages Timothy to faithfully bring the teachings of God. It is also clear that we are to set forth an example of Christian ethics as evidence of our sanctification in our speech and conduct. It is important to know here, while teaching of the Word is primary importance, there is another danger of neglect. You see, we can know the Bible and what it teaches and still neglect to live out the truth found in it. When we fail to set an example and practice the truth set forth in God's Word, we become hypocrites. Remember, a hypocrite is one who believes and says one thing and yet lives their lives contrary to the Word of God. One note that I would like to make is at RBC, we do not face a neglect of God's Word. How do I know that? Well, we all asked you to do a survey a few weeks ago called the State of Theology. When I first read this a national survey, the general population and evangelicals, I was every, very, very concerned about people's theology. Uh, one stat that jumped out at me uh, was that how many people did not believe that Jesus was God? 53% of the population did not believe that Jesus was God. And that actually didn't surprise me. However, 43% of evangelicals believed that Jesus was simply a good teacher and not God. This completely shocked me. On the other hand, our church did much better. Only 4% in that survey held this view. Another one that concerned me as I was looking at this study was the number of evangelicals that did not understand that the Holy Spirit was a being and not some personal force or some force that emanates from God. And again, RBC did well on this question. So I took the average of all the theological positions in the State of Theology survey, if, and if it was an exam, the general public would have scored 53% on the exam. Uh, evangelicals would have scored 75%. 
and RBC, the score would have been 93% on the same theological test. So, you see, as, as I've been trying to say for these last couple of years, my greatest concern is not that RBC would fail to have sound doctrine. My greatest concern is that we would neglect the love of God in our lives. We have the truth. And that truth will be reflected in redeemed and transformed lives when we apply these truths. Our speech is a reflection of what is in our hearts. When goodness is in our hearts, edifying speech comes from our mouths. But when it is not, jealousy, anger, slander, impurity, and generally evil is in our hearts. Harsh and divisive and harmful language comes from our mouths. The Bible is unambiguous in this, pl- this point. Our speech is to be gentle, gracious, thoughtful, cautious, not in anger, loving, kind, and compassionate. I could go on, and perhaps it would be good to come back to this subject, since there is much to say. But needless to say, a careless tongue is a sign of a neglectful heart. I recall when we were growing up, adults saying, uh, actions speak louder than words. And some other idioms that reflect the same idea are, all talk, do as I say, not as I do. Talk is cheap. Saying is one thing, doing is another. A man is judged by his deeds, not by his words. You see, conduct is a reflection of faith. Taken a step further, neglect of good conduct or neglect of to avoid bad conduct reflects that you do not trust in the Scripture or worse, that you do not have faith in God. Let me make a point of clarification here. We can all be prone to moments and even seasons of doubts. These can be represented by uh, the faithful. However, poor conduct becomes, when poor conduct becomes the norm, then it is clear that faith is not the guiding principle in that person's actions. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 7, starting with verse 16. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? Are figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit. But a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not produce good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire, so that you will recognize them by their fruit. Our conduct, good or bad, is a reflection of what is inside of us. Some people can look good for a season, but ultimately, their heart will be revealed by the fruit of their actions. Now, neglect of conduct can take two forms. The first form is a lack of integrity in ourselves. The second is the toleration of evil conduct in others. It's the ends justify the means. The first form is when our actions do not follow what is said. Integrity is believing what I say and what I do. You see, when these these three, actions, speech, and beliefs, line up, the person is said to have integrity. 
So the first form of neglect in conduct is when we lack integrity. It's a form of deception. You're deceiving the listener by saying something that you don't really believe. Or you're deceiving yourself because you aren't acting in the way that you say that you believe. Jesus said, be on your guard against the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. You see, the teachings and the the actions did not align. And we know it was the actions that Jesus was criticizing. Elsewhere, Jesus said, listen to the teaching of the Pharisees, but do not follow their actions. The second form of neglect of conduct falls in this ends justify the means. In this neglect, we tolerate poor conduct or accept a lack of faithfulness because we like the outcome. When we justify evil conduct because it supports our political or religious views, it is an invasive neglect that will produce a harvest of thorns and weeds in your life. Especially when that evil occurs in groups that we're most likely to affirm. This neglect destroys our witness. This neglect gives away our moral authority to speak truth to a fallen world. I want to close with three ways that our speech and conduct are to be measured according to God's word. Returning to Matthew, or sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Do not let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech, conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. You see, love, faith, and purity are highlighted examples in our lives. How do we convey that God's love is in our lives? By our speech and conduct. How do we look for these? Love, faith, and purity. You see, we can neglect God's Word and pretend that we're good and kind and still be as lost as ever. We can answer all the questions correctly on a survey of theology and still neglect the life-changing power of the Gospel. Do we love God? Do we love others? I drive this point home again and again, not because I want you to follow the love of the world. No. I drive this point home because loving speech and loving conduct is an example of the high calling, is the chief mark that Christ is in our lives. Faith in Christ is exemplified when we trust the guidance and transforming power of the gospel. We show that we love God by living our lives in obedience and purity. Paul tells Timothy to practice these things, be committed to them, so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and and your hearers. When we believe the truth, 
when we speak the truth, when we live the truth of God, the power of the gospel is released into our lives, and we become a witness of the power of that gospel and a witness to others. Dear brothers and sisters, I want to commend you for learning the truth. The world needs the truth that you have as a precious treasure in your heart. My admonition to you is that you be a good steward of the truth that God has placed in your life. Live your life in godly speech. Live your life in godly conduct. Full of love. Full of hope. And full of purity. May God richly bless you. And may God richly bless Richland Baptist Church. Stand with me as we pray. Father God, we come before you this morning with thankful hearts. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the changing power of the gospel. Lord, we've been guilty of turning it into an academic exercise and not a reality to live out. And for that, Lord, we confess and, and ask that you forgive us. Lord, help us to return to our first love. Help us to be committed and devoted to a passionate relationship, first and foremost with Jesus Christ, but also a committed relationship to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, help us to be a bold witness to a world that desperately needs the truth that is in us. Help us to live that truth out in a way that expresses integrity and lacks hypocrisy. Lord, we entrust all these things to you and pray for them in Jesus' name. Amen.